Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. On last week's show, we talked hypotheticals, but this week we bring you answers as Nick Saban appears to return to his bread and butter. Does our top coaches list match our top programs list? And finally, 2023's most likely two segment. This is the Saturday Cadence podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. Blake Biscardi and Dave Worth, I'm with you. Dave, let's start today's show with Alabama's coordinator hires and your reaction to Saban bringing in Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele. Yeah, interesting hires for sure on a number of reasons. And I guess we'll start with the offense. Tommy Reese coming over from Notre Dame. A guy who was at Notre Dame for a long time, obviously spent most of his career there um, as a young adult. And uh, you know, now he's now he's got a chance here to go to one of the most premier programs in the country, kind of like what Brian Kelly did last year, right? You know, there's, there seems to be a certain capacity at Notre Dame. And once you hit that, it's time to move on to somewhere else. Brian Kelly did that with LSU and now Tommy Reese has ever joined Nick Saban. And I was listening the other day, a couple of shows on, on a TV and a couple of podcasts. And they were saying, you know, if, if you go work for Nick Saban, it opens a lot more doors for you um, than a lot of these other places. And, you know, you look at Bill O'Brien back in the NFL, uh, you know, you look at his other coordinators, uh, Lane Kiffin, now power five head coach, Kirby smart, power five head coach, Pete Golding is, is still, you know, now going to be the defensive coordinator at a power five SEC school in Ole Miss. So, you know, his recent assistants have, have gone on and, and done some great things. He sent guys to the NFL. He sent guys to Power 5 head coaching jobs. And uh, there's a lot worse things to be working under Nick Saban. And, you know, for Tommy Reese, I guess he just felt like that same capacity that Brian Kelly felt at Notre Dame and decided it was time to move on. And, and we'll see how it goes. It was a mediocre offense last year. I think the quarterback play limited some of that. So, you know, a lot of opportunities here and, and a lot could be really good. And a lot could end up really bad. Yeah, you mentioned the mediocre offense Notre Dame had and personnel obviously played a part in that. But before I get into my thoughts, I kind of want to tee this up with a question for you. What is your opinion of Tommy Reese overall as a play caller? And what do you think his ceiling will be at Alabama? Do you think he will follow that path of becoming a power five head coach somewhere? Or do you think this was more of that average to kind of a B higher that Nick Saban just kind of had to make given who was available? Uh, yeah, I would call it a B hire, but I, I wouldn't say that it's a bad hire. Um, I think there's a lot of potential here. I, I'm I'm just not sure. You know, with with Notre Dame, they just are who they are. The quarterback play was not good last year, but but you know they were they were pretty competitive, uh, especially towards the end of the year. You know, now they bring in Sam Hartman, and you wonder, you know, if, if Tommy Reese just wasn't as confident in Sam Hartman as he is in the situation under Nick Saban. Um, I think this will be a big year. I think. Uh, you know, you, you always want to give coordinators more than a year. We're going to see that in a couple of different places. In our case, most notably with Jim Knowles entering a second season at Ohio State. And, you know, you want to give coordinators more time. But but at the same time, what Tommy Reese's predecessors did was, was pretty impressive. I know a lot of people wanted Bill O'Brien gone. But before that, it was pretty impressive, especially with what Link Kiffin was able to do there and a couple of subsequent uh, coordinators. And you know, this will be a big year for Tommy Reese and a big year for Nick Saban after what happened last year falling short of their goals a couple of times, losing on the last play. And this is a big year for the Alabama program. And, 
you know, if, if Nick Saban's confident, then so am I. But at the same time, this one kind of has to be right. That's a good point you bring up, saying that Sam Hartman transferred to Notre Dame and then Tommy Reese is like, all right, I'm going to leave when he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country next year. And then, but if you really step back from college football as a whole, the game changes every so many years and what works. And, you know, we've had that era of very, very good defenses. And then we are in this era now of the high-flying offenses. But the last two years, Georgia's brought back that defense and more of a balanced attack that shows you can win the national championship. And you don't need a Joe Burrow at quarterback to go ahead and do so. You don't need that transcendent quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. And then Michigan, they've seen success in the same way. Jim Harbaugh said, this is not working for me to try and be a spread offense like everyone else. We're going to go back to that ground and pound. Now, if you look at Nick Saban, historically, his best teams run that style of offense. Now, yes, he's added a spread component to it, and they can still put up points. But Nick Saban's at his best where they play elite defense, and they win the line of scrimmage all day long, and they run the ball down your throat. They have competent receivers who are good, and they have good quarterback play. They don't need that AA+. Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Bryce Young, they don't need that. They'll certainly get it in recruiting. But with Milrow, that coming in at likely being the starter next year, Tommy Reese is capable of running that style of offense. And I think Reese down in Tuscaloosa is a giant ball of potential energy there. And it's going to turn into something really good that a lot of people don't see coming because Nick Saban, you know, he's the best in the business for a reason. And he might see Georgia and Michigan successes over the last two seasons could be a sign of college football changing, or if those are the teams you're chasing right now in terms of they won the national championship the last two years and Michigan's now won the Big Ten the last two years, what are they doing to be successful? Nick Saban's like, hold on a minute. This is my bread and butter. Let me go back to this. So I think it's actually a very good hire on that front if Alabama's able to execute in that way. And that's where Nick Saban's going to be the most comfortable and most dangerous. Yeah, I like that. You're talking about winning in the trenches, and I think that's been you know Alabama staple for so long. The great D lines and lines that they've had, just running over people, and you follow that up with great running backs. You know, you look at Derrick Henry, T.J. Yeldon, Josh Jacobs. List goes on and on and on. He Harris, Damian Harris. I mean, I could go on for days at this point. It seems like, and um, yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, if Tommy Reese is able to bring what he did at Notre Dame down to Alabama, but now has a different level of athletic superiority. Um, you know, it could make a really big difference. And, you know, I'm curious on the defensive side of the ball, Blake, as well, with with bringing in a veteran guy this time, Tommy Reese kind of still a young guy finding his way. And now you bring in a veteran, long-time uh, coordinator, Kevin Steele, to, to run the defense. And, uh, you know, seems like an interesting pivot there for Saban, bringing in one young guy and one experienced, you know, really kind of old veteran. Yeah, especially if you look at his stock price and what Miami did last year in comparison to the expectations we thought they were going to have sure they played good defense and Nick Saban is a great evaluator of talent and sure Steele will have much better talent at his disposal with the recruiting Alabama's done over the Nick Saban's entire tenure really but over the last two three years especially so we'll have better personnel to work with similar to a jump that Jim Knowles made from Oklahoma State to Ohio State playing with some three and four star guys now you're playing with four and five star guys so some of that will come out in the wash, but not a move I saw coming from Nick Saban bringing in Kevin Steele after the year Miami had. I, I didn't see that as being a great fit there. I'm sure he's going to do well, and that defense is Nick Saban's system. So I'm really curious to see how that works out, and that makes me scratch my head a little bit more than the Tommy Reese move. Yeah, I agree with you, and it didn't seem like that was the first choice either for Nick Saban. And right. 
Um, you know, usually Nick Saban gets his first choice. It didn't really work out on offense or defense this time. Um, and so it's going to, you know, these are really interesting hires. And like I said, big season for Alabama up ahead. And a lot of people, you know, not calling for Nick Saban's job or anything, but, but kind of questioning him for the first time since he's been the head coach at Alabama. And so this will be a big year for him. Um, and really a couple other blue buds. We've talked about Clemson before needing to kind of show that they're still around this year and uh, very interesting in that regard down South. So, you know, big moves from Nick Saban and, you know, like it or not, these are household name guys you know, that he brought in for, for better or worse. And we'll see how, how it goes here uh, in a big season up ahead for Alabama in 2023. Yeah, completely agree there. And then if we look back to Georgia here, Todd Munkin being an incredible offensive mm-hmm. coordinator the last couple of years, his name's being floated around everywhere again. Obviously, this is still smoke as we record this show late Tuesday night on February 7th. And he's been rumored to go to the Ravens. He's in that second interview list now. And if he were to leave, who's Georgia going to go out and hire now at this point because of the way the dominoes have fallen? How big of an asset is Todd Munkin to the Georgia offense? Is it going to be to the level of Joe Brady at LSU? And then we see that big drop off. I think Georgia has recruited better than LSU did over that period of time. And LSU just, they hit um, a royal flush there with the lineup that they had on offense and defense. But um, yeah, we're going to see Todd Munkin's worth if he decides to move on. And Kirby Smart will be put in a small predicament there. Obviously, they have talent out the wazoo. But curious to see what Georgia would do if if Munkin does decide to move on to the NFL and the Ravens bring him aboard. Yeah, I feel like kind of what we talked about with Alabama, that's a relatively simple offense. They're not going to burn you down the field with their receivers, really. Um, they're going to ground and pound and win a scrimmage. Uh, Stetson Bennett, great college player, not super dynamic, I wouldn't say. You know, they've brought in a couple of five stars here in their recent classes. One of them is going to be set to take over. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what somebody could do with a more dynamic quarterback under center and maybe perhaps, you know, like a pro prospect first, second round kind of guy. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see. And and I don't know what will happen if Todd Munkin moves on, but I will say that I think that that is a sustainable offense for them to run, uh, regardless of who's in charge. I do agree. And I think a component that Todd Munkin brings is, He's quietly an innovative play caller in the sense of he just finds different ways to get different looks and slide in wrinkles. And part of that might be because of a player like Brock Bowers and his versatility and dynamic playmaking ability. And then also having uh, Darnell Washington having another massive tight end there. So Georgia plays a lot of 12 personnel because of the tight ends that they have. But again, you said it's a sustainable offense. That blueprint is there. Uh, It's going to be a plug and chug for the Bulldogs, both offense and defense there. So I'm not too worried about that situation, but an offensive situation. And I think the entire country, especially in the corn state of, of Iowa is the Brian Ferentz <laughs> situation. And earlier in the year, the newspaper, you know, that headline read Iowa, no offense, no O to be found because they had zero offense, man. And, you know, he's got incentives in his new contract that they've got to score at least 25 points a game. I don't know if they scored that in two games in multiple instances last year. This whole situation is just really interesting. It's a lot of politicking there. His dad's the coach. Why is he there? Fans have given a lot of lash. I'm just curious of your thoughts on this whole dynamic because it is one of the more odd ones in college football, and it just screams nepotism to some. Yeah, and I mean, it probably is. And, you know, it just is kind of how the game's played in college and professional football. We see it all the time. 
but yeah, the the incentives part is just hilarious to me. And I saw today on Twitter that the average points scored by Iowa's upcoming opponents last year, so their 2023 opponents in 2022, was 24.7. That was the average they allowed. Of course. And uh, so now Iowa's got to get 25. So they got to be, you know, about average next right. year. And, and I think that's asking a lot for Brian Ferentz, especially how 2022 went. That offense was abysmal, one of the probably the worst you know, in at least the millennia, the 2000s of college football. Uh, and yeah, I think this is a big year. I don't know if he's going to survive it. I don't know if he survived last year. And, you know, I think it is certainly because Kirk is the head coach. And, um, you know, who would have thought that Iowa would be more one of the more intriguing storylines during 2023? But this will be fun to watch and fun to progress and, you know, see, see how the fans react and if Brian Ferentz can somehow reach those numbers. I've talked about this with uh, a couple of my friends too. And um, looking at Iowa, that defense is so good every year, basically, it seems like. What if Iowa had a dynamic quarterback or a real quarterback or just a couple playmakers on offense? If they could muster up that just average, how good would they be? Would they be a playoff contender because of that defense being so good? And they bring in Cade McNamara, who has won a Big Ten championship at Michigan, and they got Eric all a tight end. So maybe that helps them elevate it a little bit more. But I think if Brian Ferentz struggles again this year, there's no way he survives it because McNamara will be the best quarterback to play for the Hawkeyes in recent memory there uh, from a talent standpoint. He's a good game manager. He's not super flashy, but he knows how to beat you. He's efficient. And then Eric Hall is just another playmaker they can add to their uh, great offensive line there. And hopefully they get some competent receiver play. But um, yeah, really interesting there with Iowa. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you look at it and, you know, if these teams can score an average of 24.7 points a game, why can't you? Um, so I think there's definitely a chance they did add some playmakers. Their offensive line is always solid. Their defense tends to put them in pretty good game script. And, um, yeah, Iowa, interesting Big Ten West storyline going into 2023. Yeah, plus the Big Ten West is open. But uh, let's transition here, Dave. Last week we gave a list of our top coaches in college football right now let's see if it now matches our top five programs in college football i mean the sample size we can take here is the last three to five years as it currently stands because it's just the ebbs and flows of the sport so i think right now you've got alabama georgia ohio state michigan and clemson how would you rank those teams let's just do it one at a time here yeah i think i like four out of the five really i i'm sold on three i like the fourth and the fifth i don't know about I'm going to go Georgia one. I think Kirby Smart's there for the long haul. I think they have the most stability right now coming off back-to-back national championships. I think you got to put them at number one. I think Bama is number two. Nick Saban will be there until he's not there anymore, and they'll keep winning as long as he's there. We'll see what happens after that. Uh, Ohio State number three. I don't think they're going to fall off anytime soon, especially with this 12-team playoff. Still bringing in elite athletes. Looking good for next year, depending on the quarterback play. Um I would put Ohio State at three. I think they're in good shape and, uh, you know, probably the biggest brand in college football worldwide. So um, number four, Clemson, I'm, I'm, I like it. I don't I don't think I'm sold there. Uh, I think once Dabo leaves, I can see Clemson, you know, kind of falling off a little bit. I know that this is for the short term, but um, – and I don't even know if I put them in the top five right now just based on how their last couple of seasons have went. I don't know that they're that top five program. They might be a top five team this year. But if you look at the past couple of years, I'm not sure you can put them there. 
over maybe a team like LSU who won that national championship in 2019 and won the SEC West this year. Obviously, a couple of rough season sandwiched in between. Um, maybe a team like USC now with Lincoln Riley, uh, a half of football away from the college football playoff last year and, and bringing back maybe the most talented roster in the country, Sands, Georgia, and Alabama this year. Um, and Michigan, I'm just not really sold on at all, honestly. Uh, it seems like they're kind of behind in the NIL department. Um, Jim Harbaugh's doing great things up there. I think he can win sustainably. I think he can bring in those kind of athletes that he likes to bring in and run his system. But I'm just not sure that they're a top five program right now. And, you know, maybe even looking at a team like Texas that has so much resources for the college football landscape as it is. I know that TCU and AM, SMU, even with the transfer portal and all their different kind of ways are kind of pilfering that. But you still you look at a program like Texas, maybe a program like Oklahoma, both of the teams moving to the SEC and say, hey, you know, it might be more sustainable to win there right now than it is at Michigan if they can bring in the right coach and, and and or the coaches that are there now figure out the right system. So that's how I would rate it. I, I like those top five. I think that Clemson and Michigan are certainly in the top eight, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, those are, that's just my thoughts. I do think when you're looking at it, it's pretty easy to do the top three because just sustainability wise, Ohio State and Alabama have been the most sustainable. And then Georgia's won two national championships the last two years. And Kirby Smart is building a juggernaut there. So there's no disputing that top three. Maybe interchangeably, Alabama and Georgia, depending on what your range is when you're making the list. But yeah, getting past that top three, it is more difficult because, you know, Michigan's only been good the last two years. They struggled in 19 and 20. And then Clemson was really good in 2019, 2020. And they have been, you know, kind of iffy. And 2021 and 2022 and you look at teams like Notre Dame you look at teams like LSU Oklahoma Texas USC you know there's there's a lot of options when you look at it in that way and I don't think it's as clear-cut as people think but I think if you're going off of last year that that's the most likely top five but yeah I, I agree with you that it does get kind of muddy once you get past three there yeah I definitely think it does uh and that's the great part about college football, especially as we move to a 12-team playoff, is that you're going to see some teams cycle in and cycle out. Uh, when you look at a team like TCU this year, and you know, that's what makes the game fun, that you don't, especially with this 12-team playoff, you don't know who's going to be those final four teams every single year. You know, you'll get Georgia, you'll get Alabama, you'll get Ohio State in the playoff probably every year or pretty close to it. Uh, but after that, you know, it's going to be up for grabs and, and you'll see some teams that have sustained runs of success. You'll see some other teams that flutter in and out. You'll see a team make a splash every once in a while. So that part's going to be exciting. And, and yeah, I think for this year, those five teams probably are the five teams with the best odds to win the national championship. Maybe you throw USC in there as well over one of those teams. But I think, yeah, I think the, the national champion is likely to come from that Georgia, Alabama, State, Clemson, Michigan group. I would agree. Just as a quick trivia to pause the show. Who's the only team that would have made a 12-team college football playoff every year since the playoffs' inception? Do you know? Uh, I'm guessing Ohio State because I can't remember them ever coming close to finishing out of the top 12. You're correct. It's Ohio State. Good to know. But yeah. So like you're saying, the national championship pool likely comes from the five we named. So let's play who's most likely to. You know, you do the, see this in a lot of yearbooks. Well, the year's over. So here's our yearbook. Who's most likely to win the national championship next season in your your eyes? I like Alabama. Uh, I think Nick Saban's out for vengeance this year. It, uh, we said it's hard to win two in a row. It's it's really hard to win three in a row. 
And I, I just think this will be a year where Alabama trips Georgia up at some point, and that's a taking home the hardware. I do think Alabama beats Georgia this year, but if I'm looking at most likely to in terms of scheduling, recruiting, recent success, and overall trust I have in the framework, I'm going to say Georgia for the sake of this matter. I do reserve the right to change this as it is only February, but let's go ahead to uh, who's most likely to disrupt a conference. Now, the example I gave was Penn State winning the Big Ten next year, breaking up that status quo would be the criteria here. I like Florida State and the ACC. I think they could have a fun year. Uh, I could see a lot of Pac-12 teams causing some chaos and upsetting USC. Uh, and honestly, I could see in the Big 12, I could see Texas, you know, with Quinn Ewers, this is it for him probably in his third year. I could see Texas finally making a run at the Big 12 championship. So, you know, I could, I think you could look at every conference, really. I like what you said about Penn State, too. I think you can look at every conference and, and find somebody who is able to ruin the party this year. And I think that's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah. So you have to lock in one team. Who's it going to be? Florida State, Texas? Uh, I'll go Texas. I'm going to go Texas. Again, I reserve the right to change just like you do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Texas. I think they have a talented roster. And, and Quinn Ewers, I think, really is a very talented. And, uh, I'm not going to say generational just yet, but I think he has the potential to get there, kind of quarterback. Uh, so, yeah, Texas, and this is make or break for Sark. You know, once again, we're saying it again. Um, so close these recent years, and they just haven't been able to get over the hump. So, um, now the, again, we've talked about Clemson. Big year for them, big year for Alabama, big year for Texas, too. Yeah, it's nice that we write our own bylaws so we can uh, reserve the right to change these picks here. But, uh, yeah, I like the Texas pick. I really do. I You're 100% correct. Make or break for Steve Sarkeesian. And then Quinn Yours, this is his last shot. He's going to be pushed by Arch Manning this year, I do think. I don't believe Manning has a shot to become a starter. But I do think he'll push Ewers in a different way. He'll feel a little bit of heat from him just because he hasn't won really much of anything. Florida State with Jordan Travis. We'll get to Travis here in a second. I mean, I really like what Florida State has on paper. Now they have to go out and execute, and they do play LSU week one next year. That's going to be a huge game there. Uh, playoff implications on it for both teams. And, uh, yeah, Penn State. Really, really like what the Nittany Lions return. And uh, their quarterback, Aller, he's going to be tremendous. I don't hear enough praise from the folks here in Pennsylvania. It kind of bothers me as an Ohio mm -hmm. State fan. But they're very high on him. And I agree watching film that the kid has it. He can spin. It's just going to be how fast can he mature and what James Franklin can do to get him ready for those tough Big Ten road environments. The schedule does a couple favors for him. It's just going to be his game readiness. But uh, – Let's look at who's most likely to win the Heisman Trophy. I think this is the most wide open of the three questions. I mean, Caleb Williams is a front runner. Uh, other than that, it's probably going to be the you know probably the quarterback on whoever's ranked one through five will probably be pretty close to what the finalists look like. Um, you know, I could see Milrow getting in there. I could see whoever wins the job at Ohio State, probably Kyle McCord. Whoever wins the job at Georgia, I mean, I don't know. I'm still picking Caleb Williams against the field right now, but I'm I'm not confident. I don't think Caleb Williams makes it to New York. That's bold. That is bold. I don't think he That's makes bold. it to New York. I can see a guy like Drake May sneaking in, Kate Klubnick, definitely Jordan possible. Travis. Jordan Travis at Florida State kind of, you know, being a force in the ACC. And, and Quinn Ewers, if Texas ends up being yeah. good, like I'm, I'm predicting, you know, there's, there's a lot of options here. And it seems like it's more of a quarterback's award, right? Isn't that kind of how it's trending now? I do, yeah. The 
kind of off the radar here with that Jordan Travis pick is that script is there for him in terms of you're beating an SEC team and then you can go beat Clemson. You beat the classier conference there. You're going to be in good shape just from a yes. ratings perspective there. Even if they have one or two losses on that schedule, you notch those two big wins. It's going to generate some noise there and they're going to be nationally televised games too. Quinn yours has a chance to do everything that he can do because he's at Texas. And then a guy like Blake Corum coming back with a pretty good offensive line. And Michigan's schedule is easier than uh, some high school teams around the area yep. next year, aside from Ohio State and Penn State and uh, a half of football against Michigan State. So Corum will be right <laughs> back in the mix as well. I think he was uh, done a disservice this year, not being a finalist with the performance he had despite his injury. I think he should have been in New York. But story for another time. But yeah, I would go with one of those guys. Yeah, no, I think that's a good pick. I like what you said about Jordan Travis. And we've noticed in recent years that you know, losing a game or two doesn't even come close to knocking you out of the conversation. Right. CJ Stroud there last year. We had uh, Bryce Young there last year. We had uh, Hendon Hooker probably would have been there if ever the injury of his own. Maybe would have been won the award. Um, and then we had Caleb Williams, who uh, lost a couple of games as well in there. So, um, you know, that certainly doesn't take you out of that consideration. And you can still even win the award, as we saw last year. And, uh, yeah, no, that, that's probably the best question, and, and I agree with you that it's it's the hardest one to answer right now, I would say. Absolutely, and it was it was fun to go through segments like that this week. It was kind of a dry week on the news front outside of really Tuscaloosa, Alabama there. So, uh, yeah, I found it was a good show tonight. Uh, got a lot ahead of us here in 2023. Still off-season coverage wrapping up. We had the Senior Bowl complete. We're going to have the draft and the Combine coming up here shortly, and then Spring Ball about a month away here. Getting closer. Getting closer. Time is ticking. We're almost to baseball season. And once you're in baseball season, it overlaps with football season. So you're technically in football season, right? <laughs> Transitive property rules. All exactly. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, Dave. Well, this was a good show, man. Yeah, good show as always. Appreciate you guys listening. And uh, make sure you follow us, Saturday Cadence. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. This has been the Saturday Cadence Podcast. We'll see you next week.